0: Hey, great podcast today. The Supreme Court came out with something really, really good for religious freedom and school choice. Stu will have all of that in uh, today's program. We also told you about what's going on with ammunition and Winchester. The government is in a public-private partnership. Somebody at Winchester has leaked what's going on. That's why you're finding it a very difficult to be able to find 556 or 223 in the last few days. That's the number one ammunition for the modern sporting rifle, otherwise known as the IR-15. The government is trying to stop the commercial sales on that. That's first out of the shoot. We also talk about Bitcoin, what's coming in our economy with Carol Roth. And so much more. Today is a day you don't want to miss a second of the podcast. Brought to you by Relief Factor. If you're in pain every day, get out of pain. At least try this, please. I know you've tried everything. And You've gone to all kinds of doctors, and nobody can either diagnose it or stop it without making you
1: <sighs>
0: so incredibly sleepy. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to um, ReliefFactor.com, ReliefFactor.com, or call 1-800-4, the number 4, relief. 1-800-4-RELIEF or relieffactor.com. Order the three-week quick start. 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. Get out of pain and get your life back with relieffactor.com.
2: You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program.
0: was a story, I think it was last week in The Federalist, and we saw it, and we began to do our own homework on it, um, and because it was very, very disturbing. And um, it came out of The Federalist. While Democrats claim to engage in talks on bipartisan gun legislation in good faith, the White House is behind the scenes trying to shut down nationwide ammunition sales. In northeastern, or sorry, northwestern Missouri, major government-owned ammunition plant is now facing closure as the Biden administration escalates its war on American gun owners. Uh, the Lake City Ammunition Factory is one of the largest manufacturers of um uh, 556 and 223 ammunition, which is the most popular caliber for the most targeted firearm in the country, the AR-15. In operation since 1941 to produce ammunition for the U.S. Army, the government contracts with the private firm Winchester to run the enterprise and sell any excess supplies to the open market. So here's what happened. Winchester called them, I'm sorry, uh, the government called Winchester, apparently, allegedly, and said, you know, uh, you got a cute little business going on here. Uh, and uh, and it'd be horrible for something to happen to that business. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so what I'd like you to do is uh, maybe, uh, maybe stop selling the uh, 30% of the ammunition to the private market. And Winchester said, most likely, uh, well, if we do that, then if there's a war, we can't ramp up to be able to make more ammunition for the war machine. I don't think you heard me you're going to stop selling that ammunition. Now, celebrity voices are impersonated in this scenario, but I think that's pretty much what happened there. Otherwise, maybe we find somebody else to make our ammunition. You know what I'm saying? So uh, public-private partnerships always work out so very well. So we started doing our homework. Uh, It looks like Susan Rice was involved in this. Um, But again... Nobody's talking because they're all afraid of their legs being broken. One group that we have spoke to uh, that knows the situation uh, very well is the National Shooting Sports Foundation, and we have Larry Keane on with us. Hello, Larry. How are you?
1: Good to be with you, Glenn. How are you? Uh,
0: Very good. Very good. So, um, you know, I know... I know it wasn't quite as mob-like, perhaps with Susan Rice involved, maybe it was more. But can you tell me, is the gist of what I just said correct?
1: Uh, I mean, basically, yes. Winchester was contacted by the army that runs or owns the Lake City ammunition facility that Winchester runs under a contract. And they were told that the Army is considering uh, issuing a policy edict in which Winchester would no longer be able to sell into the commercial market excess ammunition above um, the needs of the military to the commercial market, which accounts for between 30 and 40 percent of the market for 5.56 ammunition, which is the caliber most commonly uh, chambered for modern sporting rifles, including the AR-15. <clears throat> so it would have a de- devastating effect on the commercial market for gun owners, as well as to harm national security security and military preparedness.
0: So there's a couple of things here. First of all, let's talk about the commercial side. The commercial side, you drop 30 to 40%. Your price—I've read your price of ammunition would go up three to four times. Is that true? Uh, it,
1: obviously, uh, you know economics, being supply and demand. If you cut the supply that is already um, strained by thirty plus percent, it's going to have a significant impact on the price in the commercial market for sure. It's also going to have an impact on what the military pays for. Ammunition manufactured at the Lake City uh, facility, because uh, the the cost, the, the economics of running that business for Winchester would change dramatically.
0: So the other the other part of this is for the military, not just in cost, but the reason why, if I'm not mistaken, the reason why uh, Winchester um, has that thirty percent, and they make thirty or forty percent of the commercial market is so they have the staff in case there's ever a major war they have the staff they don't have to ramp up they can just shift all of that over to the military immediately so we have enough ammunition to be able to fight a war is that true
1: that's precisely correct and if they can't sell into the commercial market those employees are gone that production capacity is gone and in a surge situation let's say hypothetically, we were engaged in a shooting war with an adversary like Russia, China or something. The ability of Winchester to meet that surge in demand would not exist, We would not be able to meet that need. Whereas now they can, they can simply shift that production from the commercial market to, to the priority of meeting the needs of the war fighter. So that ability is gone, then uh, we can't meet surge in demands. And the price that the military pays for the ammunition they get now, even in a non surge situation, would go up considerably and the sale to the commercial market also helps to fund capital expenditures at the lake City facility so it's not just you know that they Winchester sells that ammunition um, in the commercial market they they also are putting money back into the doD to for capital improvements, capital expenditures at Lake City, so that it is state of the art and can meet surge demands for the military.
0: So, as this was revealed last week, we had uh, some congressmen um, start to write some uh, write some letters to the White House. Um, some press started to uh, sniff around, at least on you know on the on the right side. We started to sniff around, and immediately the gates are closed to the White House. And they say, This is, and I want to quote them here um, the reports on a possible ban are way off. Uh huh. Uh, Do you believe that? that, I mean,
1: the person making that statement is is either Mm -hmm. woefully uninformed of the facts because there was a meeting at the highest levels of the military on Friday to discuss this very issue, uh, or, uh, they are not being truthful, but it, it did happen. It is happening. Um, and there is a letter from 50 house members that has gone to the white house yesterday, led by Congresswoman Vicky Hartzler in whose district, the Lake city facility is located and Senator Blunt's office, From Missouri has been engaged in this issue as well. So, uh, you know, in 2015, the Obama administration tried to ban this ammunition um, under this incorrect legal theory that it was somehow armor-piercing ammunition. It is not, by definition, armor-piercing ammunition. Hold on, hold on, hold on, just a
0: second, because that because that's really important. Because I just read another story today that said that this is armor-piercing ammunition. Now you say by that definition, is. it's not. What does that mean?
1: Go look up in the Gun Control Act, section 921, um, <laughs> and you can find the definition for armor-piercing ammunition. And if you look at this M855 green tip ammunition, it does not meet the definition of armor-piercing ammunition. It is not, by law, armor-piercing ammunition. So the Obama administration's effort in 2015 to somehow declare it armor-piercing ammunition uh, was withdrawn in, when there was a reaction by Congress, and uh, there were over 300,000 comments, public comments, to a notice that ATF had put out. They backed off, unable to do, to make it illegal. The Biden administration now is trying to make it unavailable, and this is all because they can't uh, pass a ban on modern sporting rifles. So if you can't Mary, ban, without, the product, ban the ammunition.
0: Without burning any bridges here, because I think it's very important that we know the truth, and I, I certainly don't want to cause any trouble. How do we know your information is accurate? How How do we know the White House is lying here?
1: We have had direct conversations with officials at Winchester, and we have had conversations with uh, staff from Senator Blunt and uh, congressman hartzler's office so this is in fact uh, happening uh and um moderation. again either the person making that statement is woefully uninformed of the true facts or is misleading the public
0: um another way of saying that is lying uh the white house has been lying about many things they continue to say things are conspiracy theories or they're uh or inaccurate and then all of a sudden, what do you know? It turns out to be true. Has this stopped? Do you know is the is the pressure off of of Winchester? Is this not we going have, through now I, that I they've been nabbed?
1: Uh, we have not been informed that um, that this uh, has definitively been withdrawn and is no longer being considered. Um, but this, is, you know, this is not the first time we've seen an effort by. Um, first Obama, now Biden, uh, to ban this ammunition and to make it unavailable. So we are going to continue to pursue this issue to ensure that this is not a, a, no longer a recurring problem, and that um, that whoever holds the contract for the Lake City facility has the right to sell this excess. Uh, ammunition into the commercial market because again it's necessary for military preparedness it's important for the taxpayer and it helps to to fund capital expenditures at the facility and it's important obviously (laughs) for second amendment rights to be exercised
0: exactly right exactly right larry is there anything the public can do
1: they should contact their uh, elected representatives in Washington, their congressmen, and their representatives, and insist that this, uh, this issue be fixed once and for all, so we don't have to revisit this every couple of years.
0: And how do we fix it once and for all?
1: Uh, we make it clear in statute that whoever holds that contract has the right to sell this excess ammunition in the commercial market for the reasons we've just talked about.
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you so much, Larry. I appreciate it. I appreciate everything that you guys are doing, uh, keeping our Second Amendment right, uh, safe. Thank you. Um, Appreciate it. We'll stay in touch. That's Larry King. He's from the National Shooting Sports Foundation uh, about the uh, Missouri ammunition plant that the Biden administration is trying to curtail, which would uh, cut off a third to 40% of the two two three and five five six ammunition, which is the ammunition used by modern sporting rifles. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. What I'm about to talk to you about today will not be mentioned by the mainstream media. They definitely uh, will not be addressing it in the Biden administration. And I doubt the Department of Justice is doing jack squat. This is the closest to a mainstream media outlet that anyone uh, will get for Jane's, Jane's revenge. Two weeks ago, the Department of Homeland Security issued a terrorism threat advisory bulletin where they warned, and I quote, individuals who advocate both for and against abortion have on public forums encouraged violence. So if you are pro-life, apparently you're just as dangerous as some of these insane abortion enthusiasts that are showing up to the Supreme Court justices home. Um Biden's DOJ has equated the current breakout of violent acts surrounding abortion to both sides of the equation. How many participants of the March of Life have showed up to a Supreme Court justice's home, you know, to to even march, let alone show up to kill the Family Research Council tallied up uh, over the recent violent attacks and found that there have been over 40 incidents involving pro- pro-life organizations and churches since the leak on the Dobbs decision. And the attacks spanned the entire country: Washington D.C., Washington State, Georgia, Texas, Maryland, Virginia, Wisconsin, New York, Michigan. It's everywhere. Now imagine if a wave of terror attacks spanning the entire country began breaking out over the cause considered right-wing or conservative. How do you think Biden's DOJ would react? How do you think the media would react to this? We know the answer. But this is a relatively new phenomenon when it comes to terror. Back in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, We knew exactly what the left-wing extremists were all about. We were fighting a war against global communism, and we knew that fear was their weapon, and both the government and the media called them on it. Here's just a short list of some of the left-wing extremist groups. The Weather Underground the simonese liberation army the united freedom front faln and the may 19th communist organization that included members of the black panthers even with an active campaign to expose them and catch them and prosecute them these left-wing terrorists uh were responsible for an insane amount of criminal acts and bombings and murders imagine what would happen if the government and the media of today were operating back then? Well, we've got a little taste. As the Democrats began to turn a blind eye to the left-wing violence in the 1990s, things began to spiral out of control. Have you ever heard of the Animal Liberation Front or the Earth Liberation Front? Most haven't, but between 1996 and 2002, they were responsible for 600 criminal acts that caused over $42 million in damages. But those guys are rookies. The Black Lives Matter and Antifa violence in 2020 alone resulted in multiple deaths and one to $2 billion in damage. We went from a nation of laws and law enforcement to a nation of, no, I'm reimagining this violence is mostly peaceful. It's mostly peaceful firebombs, murders, and chaos. The problem is, is the Democratic Party just stopped caring. They realized that fear is a very powerful weapon. And in 2001, Bill Clinton pardoned Patty Hearst, who helped one radical Marxist group commit armed robberies. Then he pardoned Weather Underground members Susan Rosenberg and Linda Evans. Rosenberg was convicted of possessing 740 pounds of dynamite, and Evans was convicted for helping uh, to bomb the U.S. Capitol. You've seen the pictures recently. It was much, 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 much worse than anything that happened on January 6th. So in 2017... Obama then commuted the sentence of Oscar Lopez uh, Rivera. He helped lead the Marxist group F.A.L.N. That group from 1974 to 1983, as he was leader, they were responsible for more than 130 bombings, four deaths and dozens wounded. Are you noticing a pattern here? The people who are getting released by our Democratic presidents are all terrorists. This is the modern American left. They pardon or commute the sentences for Marxist terrorists, but a nationwide campaign to attack churches and pro-life organization that goes on now in silence. Why Well, I think it's consistent. They've refused to bat an eye when the son of two weather ground uh underground uh members uh Chesse, uh, uh how do you say his last name Budin? Ch- yeah. Chesse Budin, who runs the district, who runs for district attorney in San Francisco. That is that is the sun. Then they try and run uh, PR as he's blamed for massive crime waves that ultimately ended in his recall. The Democratic Party, they see fear as a weapon. Maxine Waters told her supporters to follow the GOP politicians everywhere they go. It's why Keith Ellison tweeted a photo photo of himself holding a copy of the Antifa handbook. It's why Jen Psaki would never say the Biden administration condemned the abortion protests outside of Kavanaugh's home. They want you to be afraid. They want you to be subdued. They want you to be broken. Over 40 attacks on pro-life organizations and churches... And it appears that the Justice Department is ignoring it. Where are they? Let me show you again a poster from the Night of Rage. This is a poster that is on the streets of the District of Columbia today as we wait for more results from the Supreme Court. Posters everywhere in New York. D.C. call to action. Night of Rage. The night SCOTUS overturns Roe versus Wade hit the streets. You said you'd riot to our oppressors. If abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Jane's revenge. Where's the DOJ on this? In May, a pro-life organization, Madison, Wisconsin, attacked with a Molotov cocktail. Also vandalized with the words, if abortions aren't safe, then neither are you. Hmm. Sound familiar? Now, It wasn't immediately known who was responsible, but an anonymous intermediary reached out to investigate uh, journalist Robert Evans claiming responsibility. I'm sorry. They reached out to investigative reporter Robert Evans claiming responsibility. Um, It was titled The First Communique, and that first communique was found on the dark web, you know, where nobody I know lives. The group calls themselves Jane's Revenge. That comes from a 1970s-era group that performed illegal abortions called the Jane's Collective. Now listen to some of their own words from the first communique. Quote, This is not a declaration of war. War has been upon us for decades. This was only a warning. As you continue to bomb clinics and assassinate doctors with impunity, so too shall we adopt increasing extreme tactics to maintain freedom over our own bodies we are forced to adopt the minimum military requirement for a political struggle again this was only a warning next time the infrastructure of the enslavers will not survive medical imperialism will not face a passive enemy Wisconsin is the first flashpoint, but we are all over the U.S. and we will issue no further warnings and we will not stop. We will not back down, nor will we hesitate to strike. We are not one group, but many. We are in your city. We are in every city. Jane's Revenge. Is that not terror? Is that not the very definition of a terrorist group? This warning came out May 8th. On May 30th, Jane's Revenge issued another communique announcing a night of rage, which they are holding secret for the near term and the near future. We believe, because of the posters that have just been put out, that that is for the night of broken glass, if you will, the riot, the night of... That uh, Roe versus Wade may be overturned. Now, imagine what would happen if the Weather Underground or May 19th Communist Organization bombed a government building, then announced a night of rage in the near future. If they were stalking our Supreme Court justices, the FBI, the DOJ, and every other alphabet agency would have been all hands on deck in all of government response, to find them and to take them down. Again, where's the Department of Justice? Where was Joe Biden's address to let the public know that they condemned this group and they're actively investigating? The warnings have gone unanswered. And one week later, a pro-life facility operated by Compass Care in Buffalo was the next to be firebombed. One week later, Jane's Revenge took credit for the attack. They were also listed uh, listing other attacks that they were involved with. Quote, you may have seen us in Madison, Wisconsin, Fort Collins, Colorado, Risertown, Massachusetts, Olympia, Washington, Des Moines, Iowa, Linwood, Washington, Washington, D.C., Asheville, Buffalo, Hollywood, Florida, Vancouver, Washington, Frederick, Maryland, Denton, Texas, Gresham, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, among, among many others. And we work in countless locations invisibly. Quoting, Your 30 days expired yesterday. We offered an honorable way out. You could have walked away. But now the leash is off, and we will make it as hard as possible for you to campaign and continue your campaign of aggression, oppression. We have demonstrated in the past month how easy and fun it is to attack. From here forward, any anti-choice group who closes their doors and stops operating will no longer be a target. But until you do, it is open season, and we know where your operations are. Again, where is the Department of Justice? They've already claimed responsibility for at least 17 attacks. There are more than 2,800 pregnancy clinics in the country. How, how how far does this have to go before Biden does his job? We've been looking into this organization, trying to find its funding. It appears their structure is specifically designed to be vague. It's also... Suspiciously, exactly the way Antifa operates. We spoke to some pro life organizations that voiced suspicion that Jane's Revenge could, in fact, be members of Antifa. We're still looking into it. But their organization, as well as their graffiti, is very telling. Some of the buildings that they have attacked have been tagged with the anarchist A common with Antifa. they also spray painted the numbers 1312 which stands for ACAB A cab, all cops are bastards. Does that sound like a pro-abortion person talking to you? For years we have asked the government to do something about antifa. President Trump tried to label them as domestic terrorists, but it never went through. That inaction contributed to the summer of rage in 2020. And their further inaction has now put pro-life organizations even at greater risk. And at this point, the only way to get Biden's DOJ to take notice is if you're a parent that doesn't like CRT or sexually explicit material in your kids' schools. Or if you happen to be on Washington, D.C.'s mall on January 6th, and that's about it. If a leftist terrorist group violently attacks a pro-life organization, declares more attacks in the future, no big deal. If you just follow the trends from the Democrats over the past few decades, this is not surprising, nor will it be surprising, what happens when the left unleashes war on our streets for fear is their weapon and congratulations who everybody wanted to return to normalcy with joe biden welcome to joe biden's america you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Is the cryptocurrency thing over or or what? what's happening?
2: Well, as I always like to say, you know, if I had the perfect crystal ball, I would be on my I yacht know. in the Mediterranean. so so right. I, I think that the answer is, there is a an interesting bull case and an interesting bear case and and we have to to kind of leave it up to the people to decide what's happening with the price now is really um, you know the contagion of you know what goes on when there is fear in the markets and bitcoin for all the times that people said it was a hedge it's never been a hedge this has been a speculative asset that's trying to find its footing and maybe become a hedge in the future but it has been a speculative asset. And as we've had all of this money uh, pumped into the markets via the Fed, via the stimulus, everything has gone up and Bitcoin has been a beneficiary. So now that the Fed is reversing course, we don't have stimulus, we're getting Tightening monetary policy, um, everything is going down, and Bitcoin is going down with it. Plus, there is this sort of spiral effect. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, Glenn, but people are greedy and they can't just be happy with (laughs) the the prices of things going up. So when they see stuff going up, they often want to double down. And so they'll take on loans, or they'll pledge some of their assets as collateral Mm -hmm. to get loans in order to buy more Bitcoin, which is great when it's going up. But when it starts to come down, then you get the margin call from your financial institutions that you don't have enough collateral to back this, Um, you know, what are you going to do? And so that creates a lot of downward selling pressure. So I think there's a lot of flushing out of the leverage. Um, there is, you know, kind of that contagion effect between the markets. And, you know, the, I think that uh, for a lot of the novices who have been lured in, in some cases by bad actors, because there, there are some very smart people who are in Bitcoin and there are some really questionable actors who are in Bitcoin. Um, for those who have kind of had this marketing machine and lured in the novices that, you know can explain to you what a gold chain is but they can't explain what a blockchain is but they're still doubled down in bitcoin i think a lot of those people you know tend to be the first ones to go out because they don't have an an underlying conviction and underlying investment thesis they're just trying to they're, they're the fomo people the fear of missing out
0: so i have um you know i bought bitcoin unfortunately not when Mark Andreessen sitting in his office told me to buy it, which was, penny, I mean, tenths of pennies. Um, I bought it later, and uh, my wife has said to me, this is long-term. We're not pulling it out. We're not pulling it out. We're not pulling it out. And so we haven't pulled it out, uh, and it's a little freaky, but I wouldn't pull it out because I do believe that something like Bitcoin is going to be the future. My only fear is what the government can do to it that's the only thing that is a doubt in my mind otherwise i'd be buying more bitcoin today you know yeah i mean uh because i believe i believe in it except for the government
2: Yeah. And that's a huge exception because governments around the world uh, retain power by having control over the money supply. And they're actually trying to use the interest in Bitcoin to uh, kind of trick people into supporting the central banks, creating their own digital currency, which is not crypto. It's not decentralized. They own it, but it's digital. And a lot of people don't really sort of appreciate the nuance there. So Mm -hmm. I think that is a huge risk. Um, There's no way sovereign nations want decentralized finance to become a thing. Uh, So they're going to do everything they can to fight it. We've already seen You know, potential proposals and potential legislation. So I think that makes it, you know, a very, very serious risk. And, you know, there's a a topic I think that's related to this that people need to understand. And it's the concept of total returns versus risk adjusted returns. You know, you can go out and spend a dollar on a lottery ticket and you could win the Powerball. You could win it. $100 million. Your return is phenomenal. But on a risk-adjusted right. basis, for every person who does that, most people are going to lose the dollar. And so when you're looking at these speculative assets, a lot of times people are looking at total returns. Oh, look at how much it's returned. But you're taking on a lot of risk to do it. So it really needs to be treated in that asset class, that speculative asset class. And like you said, you know, maybe it's a small amount of your portfolio. But you have to look at risk-adjusted returns, not total returns
0: um carol i want to talk to you about uh something that i've been reading a lot about from from people like you and economists etc and some are saying and some are denying that Mm -hmm. deflation is coming and as i was reading i've been studying up on the great depression recently um and uh as i was reading what what happened there the the stock market crashed and everybody freaked out and they ran to the banks. We saw it's a wonderful life. They ran to the banks. They got their money out. Uh, the banks closed. They had to reset everything, but people were so fearful that they held on to their dollars and they weren't spending those dollars. And so as I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, this seems like a no-brainer to think this is coming and i'd like you to talk me down from this tree um i i could very easily see a situation where our food and our fuel is so expensive it breaks the back of most consumers they just are they're just living for food and fuel and heat and you know they're living at the bare necessity which means they don't have any money to go out and buy new clothes. They don't have anything to buy non-essentials. Would it not be, is it not possible to have super high inflation on some products and super uh, low deflation, prices that are, are crazy because they, they, nobody's buying them in, in yeah, other but- categories? Is that possible to have both of those?
2: Yeah, I think that the the best analogy for that was would be, you know, kind of the 70s and you know something that looks like stagflation where the economy stagnates and it's stagnating, like you said, because all of the money is being sucked up in a couple of categories and there really isn't a lot um, to go around in other places. There's not a lot of investments being made and whatnot, but we still end up having high inflation. And we are certainly a lot of people feel like we are in that sort of stagflation um, you know arena right now now, you know, and it can continue on the trajectory. But you have to remember, in terms of deflation, I mean, that's what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. They are actively trying to deflate, you know, not just the bubbles and assets, but they're trying to deflate spending to cool off the economy. That's why they're shedding their balance sheet. That is why they are raising their interest rates. It is meant to cool off demand. And that's the math problem that I keep talking about. You know, they keep saying, oh, the consumer and and businesses are going to save us from a recession. But at the same time, the policy is meant to do the exact opposite. The the policy is meant to to make it so that people aren't able to spend in the same way. So those two objectives are at odds with each other. And so I do think that we could end up in this prolonged period, like you said, where the inflation hasn't quite got under control, especially because we have so many supply demand imbalances in our economy you know we have a, a labor imbalance we have a, a food imbalance we have a housing imbalance we have an energy imbalance and we have a commodity imbalance and that is not going to be you know uh, solved by any monetary policy that requires real action and we don't have leadership that's willing to to lead or frankly do anything
0: so so we have uh, uh as I see it, we're looking at a situation. Again, I'm going back and, and, and please correct me where my thinking is off. But I'm going back to the Great Depression. So people were afraid. They held on to their money. Um, they spent what they had to and what they could afford. Uh, but nothing else. That caused the labor market to shoot out of control to, un- to about 25% unemployment. Um, because the factories were closing down because no one was buying anything from the factories, which then in turn made FDR say, we're going to build the Hoover Dam to give people jobs. But it was all the government money, which would have just caused more inflation, if I'm not mistaken, uh, had it not been for the, and I hate to say it this way, but the saving grace of the Second World War. Right? We were, were we in a death spiral?
2: I, I mean, the, the war was definitely a, a different kind of reset. And I think that, you know, a lot of the logic that you're talking about makes sense. Your consumer sentiment is really important and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If people don't feel confident, they don't go out and spend, if they're worried about their inflation and, and being able to feed their family and, and get to work, they aren't going to spend. I think there are a couple of things that we have that are different and it's not necessarily better or, for the average American. So I just want to be clear that I'm on your side, and I'm not saying that it's better. Um, But because of this huge supply demand imbalance in the labor market, you know, we have two jobs available for every person looking, the likelihood is that that probably contracts to be, you know, a a better match than having massive unemployment just because, you know, that that scenario is going on. And we also have a whole slew of Americans who are Doing, you know, have done very well. You know, they've been the beneficiaries of this giant wealth transfer from Main Street to Wall Street. So I think we're going to have, you know, a a lot of, um, you know, different outcomes, you know, that inequality that's been driven by government policy. And that's never a good thing because of, you know, the the social unrest that comes with it. And rightfully so, um, because, you know, these policies have really put the middle class, the working class, um, and in some cases, the lower class at risk to the benefit of the people on the inside. And so the numbers on average may not show how dire the situation is. And so they're going to be able to spin and say, oh, everything's great and the consumer's doing well when people are really struggling. And, you know, that's where we're going to continue to just be furious and you know, demand something be done about that.
0: Uh Carol thank you so much for everything that you do. She's just um issued a new paper a new uh piece for the blaze. What the heck is going on with Bitcoin? Uh and you can find that at uh theblaze.com. Theblaze.com What is going on with Bitcoin by Carol Roth. Thanks Carol. God bless. Thank you.
1: Na, 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 na.